This is the Inside Track podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. Hi everyone and thanks for joining us for the next instalment of the Inside Track podcast from the BVRLA. Um, I'm your host Adam from the communications team here um, and I'm excited today to be joined by Richard Norris from Drive Green. Um, Drive Green is an EV specialist car dealer. It's been that since day one, so they've been at the forefront of the latest cars, the latest tech coming through for a number of years now and have been completely on that journey. Um, Richard, thanks for joining us. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, no, other than, I think other than I, I hope we can provide a useful sort of insight. Uh, you know, our experience in the marketplace has been quite unique, like I say, you know, we've been a specialist from day one from the last seven years. Um, we've uh, seen the market kind of change. We're the biggest EV specialist in the UK at the moment. Um, and hopefully we have some valuable insights to share. Mm, definitely. And you know, I'm glad to have you on today. Be used, the used battery electric vehicle market is is really growing in prominence. We're hearing a lot more about it from our members. You know, it's been turbulent to say the least with what's been going on with supply pricing everything else in between um so yeah i guess today we just could get get your you know insights from the front line of how that's been moving what we think is going to happen um so i guess if we kick off with if you could give us an overview please of sort of what you've seen this year how things have been fluctuating some of those factors that have been at play um and maybe how you've responded in <laughs> in kind I mean, this year has been a, a startling year within the EV space, and obviously it began with, you know, we, we always refer to it as the as the sort of market crash, because that was kind of how it felt back in October last year. Um, as, as a business, it was something that we foresaw, because obviously it was well publicised in the media that the price of electricity was going to be going up dramatically um, in October um, of last year. Uh, obviously, uh, we put two and two together and obviously you increase the cost of fuel to that sort of dramatic degree it's going to affect demand and you know and it certainly did you know ev demand has always remained there to be honest throughout this period however like 100 percent, the increase in cost of electricity did suppress that demand considerably obviously this occurred at the same time last october when there was an awful lot of stock starting to hit the market as the um, supply issues were um, kind of recovering from sort of post-COVID experience. Uh, and you add the two together, so obviously a, a suppression of demand and a huge amount of extra stock hitting the market, you saw basically a collapse in pricing. And that was very, very rapid. Like I say, luckily we foresaw it. So we, you know, we reduced our stock levels, we downscaled our operation in preparation, which was a very very good thing to have done without that we would have suffered enormously and i did you know we see saw a number of our competitors go bust very very quickly as you know any anything up to ten thousand pounds was dropping off per unit of stock sitting on their forecourts which was just disastrous luckily we managed to sort of trade ahead of that so we managed to um do what a lot of the motor trade should probably be doing now as they see prices falling in the traditional motor trade we made sure we offloaded our stock at the competitive price at that time and enabled us to kind of get in front of these uh you know the the, the price decreases um so yeah we saw a, a, a tough period from october through to the springtime that's where things seemed to bottom out uh, I mean, prices have decreased more since then, but the pace has certainly slowed. Um, and, you know, once we got into the springtime, we saw, you know, the 
the cost of energy being less of an issue. We saw demand starting to improve uh, and we saw our EV stock being at a very, very keen competitive price point. And as a result of which we have had an incredibly busy six months. You know, the, I think probably safe, safe to say the sort of busiest six months we've had since the uh, inception of the business. No, it's funny, obviously, you say it, it makes absolute sense, you know, if if energy prices, well, as they fluctuate, that demand will. I mean, coincidentally, we had our RVR forum yesterday and we had um, contact from Autotrader presenting some of their data. And they sort of flipped it where they showed how demand on their platform changes with fuel pricing. And it was, you know, the two lines were almost one and one and the same, you know, fuel price goes up demand for electric vehicles or interest in electric vehicles goes up and vice versa. So you've obviously got people looking at, you know, how much it takes to to fill up their current car and thinking, oh, maybe EV is the, is the way for me. But as Subtle, you say, if, if your yeah. household bills are going up in kind, then you yeah. sort of, it rebalances a bit. Because, I mean, we there was obviously, um, you know, the, the, the fuel crisis, uh, I guess it's a couple of years ago now, isn't it? I say fuel crisis. Well, yeah. the prices were, were going up to the sort of the two pound plus mark, um, you know, and we saw very, you know, a very, very dramatic increase in demand. I'm sure Auto Trader probably highlighted that in the statistics that they showed. But from a point of view as an EV specialist, I, I, I wouldn't be as scared of that as I would be a price collapse in the EV marketplace because people were panic buying electric cars then. Uh, and you were almost too busy to sell cars. The phone was ringing off the hook. You were, you know, the, the amount of customers coming through the door, um, it, it was just too much. So certainly the you know, the cost of fuel is a huge big factor in 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 EVs. Whether it's as much of a factor in petrol or the diesel market, I kind of don't. But in terms of people making that assessment to make kind of a switch across, I think the cost, the running costs of the vehicle uh, are a very, you know, a very key part of their decision making process. And therefore, the cost of fuel, cost of energy, you know, is central to that decision making. Definitely. And I assume you say that about panic buying, which obviously you're used to hearing of household goods and things. Um, it might be a very hard to tell, but for those buyers who, you know, panic bought an electric vehicle, is the sales process almost too short for them to do it properly? Is there then a risk that they've made the wrong decision or it doesn't fit with their lifestyle? Or do you find I, I think still the right people, they just make the move sooner? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think in some ways, yes, it was perhaps a little bit rushed, but it depends on, I think it depends who they're going to buy a vehicle from. You know, our, our sales process didn't change because, you know, we're specialists. We we know how to sell electric cars and we know a huge part of that is the, you know, the consultation and the education of your consumers and making sure they are buying the right vehicle for them and their lifestyle. Um, so that made things difficult for us because we were dealing with so many customers, yet we still had to provide that kind of service. If customers were behaving the way they were with us and going to a car supermarket, you know, I do wonder how um, robust their decisions were um, because they won't be getting that. And actually, you know, at the time people were panic buying electric cars, they would, if you had one for sale, I think they would just buy it, <laughs> you know, because they were desperate and they would think stock was selling so rapidly. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure there's probably, you know, an amplification of the number of customers who've made a perhaps a less, less well-informed purchase decision at that time. 
but I think that that's a you know that's also symptomatic of you know what you know kind of issues within the the motor trade in terms of how they approach the sales of EVs and I think that's present still now because customers are still require that education piece it's just more prevalent then because you know there were so many consumers there that the retailers didn't have to try as hard as they should and therefore I think they probably skip some of the details yeah that that I think makes sense and I think we are slowly seeing that you know more franchise dealers in particular are you know they've got the backing of you know the brands behind them to sort of put the training in and match the products that are coming through so I presume that that gap between yourself as a specialist and sort of the you know the ones that can do everything is maybe closing a little bit and that education is improving across the network but I guess because you've always had that role as specialist you've you've always had that kudos and people know to sort of come to you knowing that it's that way you think there's still probably quite a big like I say, the gap's closing, but is it still quite a big gap? Would you the get gap people is, coming to you sort of yeah. saying, oh, we've, we've been down the road, they didn't really, they couldn't really help us, can you? Do you see much um, of that? A, a, an awful lot of that, you know, and also I know that from, you know, obviously chatting to other people within the motor trade, at, you know, shows we go to and things like that, you know, I, the gap is closing for sure, um, but it's not closing enough. Um, and, I, I don't think the motor traders fully embraced it as much as possible. I think they're still kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit, really, because they know it's a thing and they are trying to, but they people don't like change. <laughs> and I guess that's true of organisations and the people work within it. So I think there's there seems to be some resistance. There's also some nervousness. The, um, the price collapse that happened in October, um, I think there's a lot of, you know, certainly a lot of smaller sort of more independent motor traders who I've spoken to since then who, you know, they'll change their minds, of course, but they're currently vowing never to buy an electric car again because they saw themselves lose £10,000 per item in an unprecedentedly short period of time. And it's kind of put them off. <laughs> so, so I think it's going to, you know, I think, you know, you know in terms of how busy we are we do always seem to buck the trend of whatever else is going on within the motor trade so there's something definitely right in our approach as to how we sell vehicles being electric cars at this point uh, and i think the more the motor trade embraces how we do it the better they will do at selling evs however it's easy for me i'm a specialist motor trader I, i've never been in the motor trade prior to this so i'm not in any way um, polluted by any other previous experience you know we've always approached it this way and it's done very well for us so we haven't had to change and i think that yeah. change is the bit that's going to be a little bit harder with the rest of the motor trade i have thought long and hard about it because obviously our experience is different you know someone comes onto our forecourt they've already been very well educated by all of the um, information we give to them they've already made a strong commitment to um, buying an ev um, they're a different consumer to what's going to walk onto a car supermarket that's got 500 petrol and diesel cars and 30 electric cars you know there is the challenge there for the sales staff at what point do you introduce an electric car into the dialogue and conversation and i think they um electric cars are a much more complicated product to sell at this moment in time because of the education piece around it and i think not as many customers are being introduced to evs in a, a mainstream mixed dealership as perhaps could be because it's viewed as harder <laughs> in many ways yeah i think I, i've heard similar things across you know 
people like yourself and uh, people from elsewhere i think that definitely is a case of that resistance to change or just you know like say not having the, the funds or the resources to to be able to do it at the pace that you know you might hope to see i mean the point you made there about you know they're potentially kicking the can down the road and also i guess this is probably more with consumer attitudes consumer conversations in mind obviously we had the announcement in september from rishi sunak about the phase out dates being pushed by five years we've since seen the confirmation there's their mandate which doesn't really change it really but the perception in a lot of drivers minds is that there's an extra five years to to worry about it have you found in the last i know it's only a couple of months there have been any changes in people coming to you, what kind of attitudes they have or the questions they're asking you uh, not for us, no. However, you know, I, I think it, it's just, in a way, it's just another media piece. Um, and I think it obviously has had an effect and maybe it's softened the, uh, you know, the increase in demand a little bit. So we will be seeing perhaps more demand than we're, or a bigger increase in demand than um, than we're seeing now, should that not have happened. You know, the research that's been conducted since then has shown that a lot of you know, I think there's a lot of consumers that are the, the consumers we're less likely to see anyway have decided they're never going to buy an electric car now because of that, you know. Um, so I think, you know, I think in terms of the broader motor trade and the people they're expecting to see, there's something like another 40 odd percent that are now saying they're never going to buy an electric car. So it has, you know, it has made a bit of a difference. Um, I would you know, without being overly political, I would say it's kind of a short-term sound bite to win the votes of those people who are now going to push off um, from buying an EV, um, which I get and understand. But I would hope with kind of political change, the the 2030 agenda will come back on track. My personal opinion is um, kind of legislation isn't as relevant to it as people think. The, the sound bite and the marketing piece of it kind of is, but I think EVs will take over by 2030 anyway, given you know suitable supply and suitable stuff out there because it is a better technology. Mm. So you know, I I I don't think legislation is as important uh, as as perhaps it could be. I also don't think it's necessarily that practical because there's so other many moving parts within it that are involved that I don't think it can be just dealt with a, a sweeping deadline date put in place by the government. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think EVs being as strong a product as they are, you know, we'll see, you know, the kind of figures that we're looking at or that in terms of EV EVs on the road and diesels coming off the road, hitting the 2030 targets, hopefully all by themselves. <clears throat> I think that's um, yeah, probably a fair piece. And but I think we were saying before the the early customers, you know, when you first started and up until probably just a couple of years ago, the people coming to you were the ones who they wanted they wanted to make the switch, not at any cost, but they were maybe more affluent anyway. They had other motivations based on sustainability, you know, wanting to be forefront with the tech, you know, all of those typical. You know, uh, innovator on the on the curve marketing curve with that switch now obviously the supply has has increased dramatically over the last couple of years as you mentioned that's brought, brought prices down so you're seeing that early majority come to the forecourt now because the price picture is is easier for them how have your conversations with them had to sort of 
evolve, I guess, because their motivations are so different to those pioneers, those innovators. Uh, in a, it simplified things, if if I'm being honest. I think that's how you can you can tell the difference with the early majority. They, yeah, the education piece is required, but not to the same degree. And they certainly, you know, especially when you come to drive green as well, you get a lot of eco fluffiness around what we kind of do, <clears throat> which is, you know, kind of characterise the personality and culture of the business. And that's, you know, a little bit less relevant to a lot of our consumers now who are just looking to switch to an electric car for, for reasons that outside of just the green priority, you know, by they're almost being, <clears throat> do excuse me, Adam, being sort of swept along by the, the current of things they need to change their car and Evie makes a logical choice they've done some research themselves around you know kind of running costs normally and range um you know we still we still have to do the education piece because it still remains important to make sure people are making proper informed decisions um however it's not quite so complicated and to be fair the stock profile um makes it less of an issue as well obviously we're thanks well because of the, the price correction that's occurred you can now you know get a, a 200 mile range ev for around about thirteen thousand pounds now if you look back 12 months ago um the same amount of money would get you an ev with around about 90 miles worth of range that's a big big difference and therefore when you're kind of educating and helping people choose an electric car and they are looking at cars with a lower range you have to spend a lot more time with them on that to do with public charging, making, you know, the understanding their regular driving and just making sure they're making the right purchase, you know, within their budget. Now you come in with that budget and you're buying a 200 mile range car. There isn't really so much of an issue there. So you're spending a lot less time, I think, with consumers reassuring them on range, delving into their driving lifestyle paint a picture of how the car is going to work within that and how you're going to how they're going to public charge it how they're going to make it work for them on holiday or visiting family you know all of these sorts of things so it, it's still there but it, it's it's greatly reduced because obviously it's very if you like the, the answer is much easier when you're pointing someone towards a 200 or even 300 mile range ev the issue of range just vaporizes away Whereas it's difficult, different when you're talking about 80 miles or something like that. You know, they've, they've got a lot of questions like, how is this going to work? Yeah, no, absolutely. You still sometimes, you know, you see people saying, oh, and until you've got one that does 800 miles on a charge, 1,000 miles on a charge, I'm not interested. Mm. As I think they're the ones you mentioned earlier, that sort of, they're almost in that camp of never want to, really apprehensive. Or... To, you know in some cases we'll do the mileage that warrants having more available but for your average driver i think you're right that two three hundred miles is that's sort of charging up once a week for typical use for a lot of drivers so it, it becomes very manageable very quickly it, it does yeah and even on a longer journey i mean 200 miles gets you quite a long way you know i mean for me it gets me to london back without even charging you know um so you know once you're looking at that you're breaking down the issues where the public charging network comes into play because obviously you know the, the public charging get network gets a huge amount of bashing in the media as opposed to educating in the media and a result of which that's a a, a real pinch point of fear with consumers 
Um, and obviously when you're talking about a 200 mile range car and you look at the instances where they're going to need to use the public charging network, it's a fraction of what it used to be when you were looking at 80 mile range EVs, for example. So, so yeah, it's a much, you know, it's now much easier because people come in with a budget, you know, it's now much easier within that budget to get them in a car that is almost like a no brainer for them. You know, it's obviously going to work within their lifestyle. You're obviously going to feel comfortable with it. It makes it a very easy buying decision. You know, and that's, you know, I guess that's the early majority. That means, you know, the purchase decision for the majority of people is now an easy one. And therefore, we're starting to see that early majority kind of purchasing sort of profile kind of start to build. Definitely. And obviously, without going into, you know, specific models and, and manufacturers, but at, at a total level, at least how <coughs> I've seen it anecdotally, there appears to be this slight change of mindset where there's not so much brand snobbery within EVs as there perhaps has historically been on ICE vehicles where, you know, some people would only have a certain manufacturer because they trust the engineering, the comfort, the whatever that mattered to them, that was, we'll only go that, we won't go for this this brand or one's made in this country, etc. Have you noticed, obviously, in the seven, eight years you've been active, obviously the, the number of EVs you could possibly stock and sell has just exploded. Do you find that people still come in with some of those preconceptions of, oh, I won't get that brand or I'd only get this one? Or is it what's the range? What's the, like they've just got different motivations now than brands on the front? Yeah, I mean, the EV moving to an EV is kind of, I think, wiped the slate clean for most consumers is how I viewed it. I don't think on any normal car forecourt. I mean, I won't bring up brands. So, yeah, arrive at a certain premium brand and leave in what's, you know, an Asian sub premium brand. But we see it all of the time um, because the product, you know, when you're when you're involved in an in-depth consultation about something new and fresh, every, they're open to everything. And actually issues such as range, um, you know, are more important. And obviously some manufacturers have got better heritage within that space where they were early into it while the others were behind. So at the moment, yeah, I think that the, the brand loyalties um, are very, very far down the list of priorities at the moment. It will change over time, long term, because soon, um, well, soon every car will be an EV and therefore you people will migrate to certain brands and um, the playing field will be be levelled somewhat. But at the moment, this, the, you know, the slate is still very wiped clean. So I think, you know, kind of brands who've had it easy and good for a long time need to be kind of wary of of what's kind of going on and make sure they you know they up their game suitably to be able to compete in this space if that's what they they want to do um you know there's a huge variety coming out now so yeah there is you know the, the, you, almost every manufacturer now has got an ev if not multiple evs out there but again, it's not it's still not a logical change. And I think in some ways people quite like the change. It frees them from what they, they've always kind of done before. You know, and there's some cool new products coming out from some cool new manufacturers as well who probably wouldn't have had a, a look in in the marketplace if it wasn't for the this EV transition and how, how much people are now open minded to something new and different. And I think, again, for for our members, that presents a very interesting picture because obviously if they're buying a large number of vehicles for three five six whatever their, their cycle might be you know the, the the end value that residual value 
historically it's been very trusted you know with ice we've had decades of data we know which brands hold their value better which ones less so how performance changes like so because the slate has been wiped clean that becomes a very different calculation i think for them of you know which which is going to hold up better which won't and at the moment as you say it's sort of an ev non-ev calculation as opposed to brand x brand y brand z one's better than the other which i suspect With, will come in time like you say when we yeah had i mean and that's a real that's a real difficult one for your members or anyone trying to do these valuations because obviously we we get i've got a fairly unique insight on the forecourt in that actually pretty much every type of ev is there in one place so we get to you know see how they perform side by side with the consumer in mind which you don't necessarily get everywhere else and particularly not in sort of main franchise dealerships things like that which are very very brand specific obviously so you know not only you know they had to as a manufacturer have to produce a good vehicle you know within their own terms it has to compete side by side with whatever else is going on in the marketplace and that does change and evolve because that's also affected by price and again without bringing brands into it you know there are you know that there's you know a, a, a one major brand in particular that does you know the price of them at use does affect uh how other cars are perceived strangely there is a car brand that you know you either want that car brand or you don't <laughs> but however it, it seemed because of the volume of units out there it's kind of set the sort of the baseline to what is value you know if, if that car scores seven out of ten you know seven out of ten should equal this amount of range this amount of tech this amount of quality you know and everything's then just kind of judged against it and there's sort of micro elements of that amongst other vehicles so yeah you know anyone retailing these cars need to be mindful of what other manufacturers have done at the same time because although we stock almost every ev there's still some that we we won't stock because you know what, they cannot stand up on the forecourt you know regardless of how much you love that brand there's no way you'd buy that car instead of the car that it's parked next to because you get so much more for your money it's so much yeah better a, a rational decision to kind of make so yeah it, it's it's difficult i mean time will will tell and i i wish i had the answers to advise your kind of customers because it changes all the time as well um but um but yeah if, if i can if i can think of something I, I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure i get i jot it down so we can spread it out yeah definitely the answers on the postcard yeah um, no perfect and then i guess just to sort of round things up to a point obviously we're we're recording in November now, so as is the human way, we start thinking, you know, what, the year ahead, what's coming, you know, what's going to change. I mean, I've seen, you know, recent data again at yesterday's um, forum, which is suggesting, obviously, because we've had um, sort of Brexit and WLTP, COVID, like one thing after another has meant we haven't really had the seasonal peaks and troughs in the same way or the same um, sort of level as normal. 2023 is maybe suggesting towards that kind of seasonal peaks and troughs again what might you be expecting going into next year in terms of any big trends any big changes can we expect a more more stable stable market with used beds is it going to be as turbulent as ever what's your sort of 
expectations? It's going to be uh, more stable. We, we've seen a very big rapid sort of correction in, in pricing to adjust to the new levels of demand and new levels of supply within the marketplace. And it will still go up and down or fluctuate, maybe more so for certain brands than others. But I think compared to what we've seen over the last, I don't know, almost as long as I've been in this business, I think it's going to be much more stable, much more normal motor trade if there is such a thing. Uh, I don't think it's going to be without its blips. And I don't think, I think EVs are affected a lot more by um, by the media, uh, as well as socioeconomic situations, as well as seasonal variations. So there are other there are other things that affect variables that affect the EV space that means it could remain a bit unpredictable, but I think it will be more predictable. Um, we've obviously seen um, some quite serious sort of price drops in petrol and diesel cars at the moment, which you might think, oh, that's but separate, EVs are stabilised. However, one does affect the other. So currently it's a very level playing field with EVs and petrols and diesels. Um, it needs to hopefully stay that kind of way or roughly there. So if prices do drop a lot in petrols and diesels, I think EVs will at some point try and correct themselves to that. When that occurs, that will depend on prices of fuel, prices of energy and what goes on in the media, not to mention, you know, kind of whatever the government is deciding they're going to be pushing in their, uh, their, their individual agendas. So I think actually next year, I think we're going to see more state. It's going to be much more stable. It's going to be a wavy line for sure. You know, there, there'll be some curveballs, but there's not going to be the, the shocking experience we've had in this year just gone. I think in terms of your members, I think the thing to watch out for, because they know the volumes of stock that they're sitting on, if they're sit if they're introducing a big volume of something in particular into the marketplace, that you know you will expect the price to drop down unless demand is going crazy through the roof. So it will vary a bit from car to car. Uh, but in terms of the overall sort of perhaps more broader outlook, I think the EV marketplace is back on track again. You know, and we're moving into a new phase as well now, which is, you know, the, the early majority phase is now starting to appear on our forecourt. And I think that's that's going to be a big thing. I think that's going to mean um, a very steady increase in demand um, that flows along with the normal, if you like, the normal adoption curves that you see of these things from early adopters to early majority to, you know, to the, the, the mass of consumers taking things on. So I think personally, I think the EV market is back on track. You know, it's obviously going to be a growing space in terms of demand. Because regardless of policies or what the media says, we all know where it's heading, you know. So in terms of, you know, diesels will lose out, petrols and de uh, uh, electric cars will take over. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and uh, I think that as a result means things are going to be uh, kind of good and healthy. Um, in terms of used car, the used car market, I think prices are going to remain slightly repressed. So the kind of the boosts in value that we've seen of recent years, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think the demand curve is quite as high. And I think the um, kind of the, the the leasing market or the new car market is 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 more affected by um salary sacrifice schemes and kind of incentive taxation incentives if you like are artificially um kind of driving up the kind of corporate demand so i think currently new car corporate demand is above where used car demand sort of is which i think is going to keep the price 
where it should be and hopefully fairly stable. But I, I think the out, the outlook for EVs after what's been a very tricky, turbulent year is very, very good. Uh, it's it's nice to have a, a good, positive, <coughs> you know, sun sunshine ahead uh, close. Often, often when we do these, you know, it's on the back of supply crisis, this, that and the other, where the only thing we can look forward to is more uncertainty and more turbulence. So, like you say, it'll be wavy, but it's good that, the, you know, it's it's a positive picture cause for optimism and that direction of travel is you know, in the in the right direction i think it's fantastic so. excellent well I'm, i'll i'll leave it there so you can get back to you know serving these customers that are now you know <laughs> flood, flood, flooding into the forecourt and um, more cars coming your way um richard thank you so much for your time uh, fantastic to hear from you some great insights some great perspectives um thank you so much hope to speak again soon Thanks, Adam. I, I hope that was helpful and uh, well, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review and feel free to share this on your social platforms.